This week on The Perfect Scam. He wrapped religion around his neck and he used it to get Christian, good Christian, God-fearing Christians to, to trust him. That is a, a very disgusting thing, but unfortunately, it's not uncommon. Welcome back to AARP's The Perfect Scam. I'm your host, Michelle Kosinski. This week, we delve deeper into a scam we started to explore last week. If you haven't listened yet, you'll want to. It involves a well-known, larger-than-life Dallas personality, especially among the older Christian set, who billed himself as a financial guru called the Money Doctor. Doc Gallagher seemed to be the most attentive, God-fearing, personalized financial advisor around. But where we left off, people who invested with him were starting to feel some darkness afoot about what Doc was telling them about what he was doing with their money. Now let's meet some new characters and see where this all ends up, starting with Larry Burdine. I'm a native Texan, grew up in the uh, Dallas area, uh, graduated from the University of Texas, and recently uh, retired, uh, spent my entire career in the electronics industry, Texas Instruments, right out of college. Uh, the last job I had was with a, a multinational telecom company called Alcatel Lucent. It doesn't get much more Texan than you, I think, Larry. <laughs> Are you wearing no, uh, a big 10-gallon hat and boots right now? I don't know, but I, but I do have a big longhorn uh, over my <laughs> door here. Perfect. <laughs> that helps set the scene. So I guess let's get started by telling me how you first came to know good old Doc Gallagher. My first impression of him, he was, he was sort of a blowhard. You know, yeah. he was one of these rah, rah, rah type guys. Mm. And he also and always has presented himself as a man of God. A lot of folks come in and they say, well, Doc, I've had this annuity for some time, and the broker never explained to me what it is, or the life insurance... That's 79-year-old Doc Gallagher on one of his Dallas-area radio shows. But like many of his clients, Larry and his wife, a former beauty queen, met Doc at a big local song and dance show, all with people over 55, called The Spectacular Senior Follies. It's for charity. Doc Gallagher emceed it for years. And it was also a very effective way for him to meet new potential clients. Was I was intrigued. One of the cornerstones of his presentation was a, uh, a guarantee if you invested with him that you would not lose your money. That was somewhat intriguing since I'd seen we'd just gone through the right. 2008 whereby most everybody, including myself, lost about 30% of their net worth. Yeah, exactly. Did it worry you at all that he was offering a guarantee that nobody else seemed to be able to do? Yeah, uh, I was very hesitant. Annuities are very similar to that. You can get annuities that that basically ensure that you don't lose money. Uh, And I had... And, and in fact, I, I was in uh, an Allianz annuity, uh, very similar to that. He first heard about Doc's products about three years ago. 
Larry and his wife, though, already had their money invested elsewhere. And just as we've heard now with every single couple we've interviewed, did your wife like him? She really uh, wasn't very warm toward his uh, BS. The guys are okay enough with Doc, but the ladies seem universally suspicious. I think we're on to something here about the female intuition. Larry's mother-in-law also couldn't stand the guy. But because money talks, and Doc Gallagher talked about money a lot, even sending Larry letters saying, money is a sacred trust. People are more important than profits. Larry finds that others in his circle all have only positive things to say about Doc's investment skills. So your mother-in-law actually was the first to invest with him in your family. How did that happen? Or did you use her as the test case? You're like, well, I'm not sure. How about the mother-in-law? Let's let her try him out first. (laughs) Laugh as you wish. That's exactly (laughs) what we did. Oh, no. (laughs) We convinced her to put some money with him. And then we sort of watched what happened. She invested $50,000 that she had to play around with. And soon enough, she was getting quarterly bonus checks, just like Doc's other clients. It was great. It's hard to imagine a better advertisement than hearing through word of mouth that people are getting bonuses and returns. That's that's pretty powerful. Oh, yeah. I basically got a warmer feeling for uh, his business, Akim. Yeah. Money definitely helps with that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't really change my mind about him being a blowhard. Yeah, but he was a blowhard who knew how to invest, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Larry, though, still wants to do a little more looking into Doc. He sets up meetings with him at two of Doc's offices just to see his situation, to make sure he had a real company and people really working for him. It seems to check out. No red flags or anything? Nope. Then one day, about two years ago, Larry starts experiencing heart problems. He goes to the hospital, and it's worse than he expected. He needs surgery. He's there for days, for tests, then waiting for a surgeon. And who appears in his hospital room? Doc shows up, sort of unexpected. (laughs) And uh, Not the doc you were hoping for. (laughs) Yeah, right. And uh, we, the wife and I and Doc, we up. I'm so sorry. We uh, we got down on our, on our knees and held hands, and Doc prayed for my recovery, uh, and then he left. And you know. About two weeks later, I moved my IRA over to him. So if I was sitting on the fence, I think that that meeting convinced me that he was a a good man. Yeah. So that was a real turning point. Yeah. So Larry, his wife, his mother-in-law, and his brother-in-law all now invest about a quarter of a million dollars with Doc. Immediately, they get a 6.5% bonus for acting so quickly. There was just one thing nagging at Larry. The only thing that was really weird, and it hit me when it happened, is that in my hospital room, when we got up off of our knees from praying, 
I went to hug Doc, and he just sort of shook me off because he was leaving. He didn't take the time to hug me. He he sort of brushed me off because he was having to meet with another person in the hospital. Huh. Yeah, my gut says, well, that doesn't feel right. Now, across town there in Dallas, let's check in on Charles, who first came across Doc more than 15 years ago. He and his wife were invited to a lunch seminar that some of Charles's trusted former colleagues put together. Doc was one of the speakers. He liked to be the center of attention, I'll put it that way. That was obvious. Liked to be noticed. Way back in 2004, Charles and his wife decided to roll over some annuities to one of Doc's recommended investments with another financial institution. All is fine. They don't hear from him again for another decade. When that investment matures, then it's time to do something else with that money. Charles gets a letter from Doc. He had written across the face of it, there is a better way. Uh Uh-oh. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And let me uh, me guess, the better way was his way. Yeah, was his way. This is a time of great transition for Charles, who had retired from a long career in law enforcement. His wife had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease a few years earlier. We were always savers, and we lived a pretty simple lifestyle. She took care of her parents for years, and uh, we had one, one son who lived to be about, well, almost 41. So it was just the two of us. We... We were comfortable. They had a six-figure savings they never expected to spend. They couldn't travel, but knew Charles's wife might need nursing home care. They just wanted someone to help them manage finances for this next stage, and maybe that ultimately donate their savings to charity. So they went with Doc's plan that claimed to invest in five different things, including stocks and mutual funds. Sadly, a year later, Charles's wife dies. And Doc starts persuading Charles to invest more, to take advantage of a special rate of return, all guaranteed, of course, Doc said. But when it came time for getting statements and details... I mentioned, hey, the last quarterly report didn't show that $20,000 I sent. And, oh, well, yeah, you're right, I'll I'll take care of it. Well... Mm -hmm. Right then, I I knew I wasn't going to send any more money. <laughs> you were kind of like, okay, that's it for this guy. Yeah. By now, Charles had around $400,000 invested. And all this time, Doc would send him little cards or gifts, books he wrote like, Jesus Christ, Money Master. Those are four words that you don't always hear together. Jesus Christ and Money Master. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) He was not a writer. (laughs) (laughs) I think there were a lot of things he wasn't. So just as Charles has finally had it with Doc, and only days after Larry and his family invest a quarter of a million dollars, this is March of last year, a day of reckoning rocks this Dallas community. It finds Larry and his wife across the ocean, where they had been enjoying the fruits of their supposed investments on a vacation in Italy. They had just spent a beautiful day. This was the time of their lives. A frantic phone call comes at night 
from his mother-in-law. She was okay until the feds showed up. Doc Gallagher was in jail, accused of fraud. She was upset. Yeah. She basically said, you know, I never did. I never did trust that SOB. Oh, gosh. Just unbelievable, you know, jaw drop. Just, I can't believe this. I mean, to do what he did to me prior to to my uh, having a heart operation, it takes somebody that's a cold-blooded to do something like that. This was Doc, after all. The guy everybody knew who'd come to your house, send you a birthday card. The guy who would quote scripture and say that God sent him to help. It's sickening to the families he's affected, like Alan and Margaret, who days earlier had tried to get Doc to send them some information about what was going on with their investment. I mean, at first we could believe there's got to be a mistake. There's got to be a mistake. It was a terrible day. And uh, we experienced all the different emotions of grief for quite some time after. Disbelief, sadness, anger, questioning ourselves. Or Harold and Anne in their 80s, who were just about to take their money out of Doc's investments. They were just waiting till they got back from vacation, literally days after his arrest. If I live 30 more years, then I can... <laughs> I can depreciate it off. Yeah. <laughs> Doc wanted, uh, he wanted attention. And okay. he was uh, smooth enough to uh, get it in nefarious ways is what it boils down to. Dallas prosecutors charged Doc with securities fraud and money laundering. But there's also a federal complaint against him and more charges still pending outside Dallas. So far, around 200 victims have been identified. Authorities say Doc took at least $55 million, but that those numbers are likely to keep climbing to well over $100 million. The feds call Doc's investment strategy none other than a Ponzi scheme, like a mini Bernie Madoff of the Texas Christian set. This was something that, you know, happened over a period of years. He woke up every single morning and made a decision on whether he was going to scam somebody or not. There's some people who are at the end of their life um, trying to figure out how they're going to get their next meal or how they're going to pay their rent. Then you also have people who are, you know, just barely into their retirement age and they still have so many years ahead of them. That's Assistant DA Alexis Goldate, who has worked with many of the victims. She's particularly disgusted by this. He had a a way of exploiting people's vulnerabilities. And the biggest one, I think, was loneliness, the fear of being alone or the fear of uh, not being able to take care of yourself. These were people that were wanting to prepare, who were trying to do the right thing. But, you know, even his books, he would target them and say things like the money doctor's guide to taking care of yourself when no one else will. Um, He would tell people, you know, you need to ask your broker (laughs) if I don't have any money, would you still care about me? And that's what, and so he gave the people the, the impression that, you know, it's not about your money. I am here for you. I am more than your financial advisor. I'm going to take care of you or I'm going to take care of your spouse 
if something happens to you, or I'm going to take care of your mother or your children. Yet as out there in the spotlight and in your face, in your living room, as Doc was, he's still something of an enigmatic character. No one we spoke to had any idea that Doc had no investor's license, which is illegal. No credentials at all as a financial advisor, even though in marketing materials he claimed to be a fully licensed wealth manager and advisor. I've been doing this for 20 years, been on the radio for about 12. Doc was licensed to sell insurance. So he could sell annuities, which are like agreements with insurance companies, but not the kinds of securities he claimed he was investing people's money in. The Securities and Exchange Commission, looking at one four-year period, showed that Doc made only one legitimate investment that entire time for $75,000. All those other tens and tens of millions of dollars, investigators say none of it was ever invested in anything. It all went to the Ponzi scheme itself, paying out returns and bonuses, paying his staff, his personal expenses, and of course, his radio time. Just in January of last year alone, he raised a half a million dollars from victims. When he was arrested, the total cash he had in the bank was just over 800000 It wasn't super flashy. It was a thrill of the taking. The, you know, it fed his ego. I think he enjoyed the fact that people called him Doc Gallagher or Doc and that people looked up to him and people trusted him and that you know, he kind of put himself up on this pedestal as being somebody. And he was exactly the opposite of what he said he was. Doc put himself out there as, first and foremost, a Christian, a Bible-quoting, scripture-toting family man. He would officiate people's weddings. He was married to a woman named Gail, described by everyone we spoke to as attractive and silent. She's listed as a director of Doc's company. He has a daughter whose two children he had adopted, along with another boy from Asia who worked with Doc. And there's another foreign-born young man that acquaintances say was almost like a son to Doc, whom he had taken under his wing. William Neal Gallagher, as Doc was born, is indeed smart. He claims to have come from hard-scrabble New York City beginnings. He really had, it turns out, served in the Peace Corps back in the 60s in Thailand. He really did get a PhD in philosophy from Brown University. His dissertation was titled The Concept of Blame. He really did work on Wall Street at two different firms for five years in the 80s. He claims he left in disgust because of the high commissions people were charging investors. And he wanted to, in his words, put people first. He worked in insurance for a while, and in 1999, Texas cited him for doing investments without a license. He did pass three securities exams, according to the SEC, and was associated with real financial brokers up to 2001. After that, he was associated with an investment advisor, but again, he himself was not licensed. Authorities trace his Ponzi scheme back to at least pre-2013. No one seems to know what set him on that path. Not long before his arrest, he started warning his clients about government regulators, saying people shouldn't trust them, and if they started asking questions, don't answer, which is something he had even written about in his books. 
he talks about the regulator, if they don't find a bad guy, they'll create one. Oh. And so he, he had already kind of started grooming his, even from day one, some of his investors with this idea that, you know, to them, he said, I'm a big fish. They don't like my style. They don't like what I'm doing. Well, I started a file on them. Um, and when I start a file on you, that's not a good sign. <laughs> that is Dallas-based veteran investigative journalist Dave Lieber, known as the Watchdog. He's one of those rare, hard-nosed, old-school-style reporters with the Dallas Morning News and has a column that doggedly pursues greed and corruption. He always felt there was something rotting inside the money doctor's bag of tricks. I started to collect. Uh, string, as they say in the newspaper business, so that I knew that one day I'd be writing a story about him. I just wasn't sure how I would get it because I, at the time I didn't have any victims. What was it? I just it? had suspicion. He was a master marketer, and he was doing things that no other financial advisor was doing. And, I mean, it was just all too good to be true. He would, If you were sick, he would show up at your hospital room with flowers. He, he'd send you gift cards uh, to his clients. Um, he had dances in hotels. He had a movie night. And, you know, most people who are in the financial inv investment business, they don't go through all that trouble to hook their clients. But he was the opposite. Doc's heavy on the self-promotion radio shows piqued Dave's interest enough to check out his seminars and slick marketing material. It's headline, why are these leaders talking to Doc Gallagher? And it has then-Governor Rick Perry, uh, former Governor Mike Huckabee, uh, the late Zig Ziglar, the late Ebby Holiday, who's the first lady of real estate, Joel Osteen, Nolan Ryan. I mean, these are the superstars of Texas, and they were all photographed with him on his one sheet. All part of Doc's big Texas persona. You know, he was an extremely handsome man, too, with gorgeous head of hair. He had great eyes. He had a great smile. He had a great voice. He was just one of the most charismatic people you'd ever, you'd ever meet kind of the perfect the perfect storm of attributes to be a swindler ultimately that's right dave lieber had actually found out through his state regulatory contacts that doc in fact had no investment license so if the guy had been cited before for practicing without a license and he was still doing it years later like a decade later yeah. why weren't they stopping him a lot earlier well, that's what I asked them, and, you know, they didn't really have a good answer. It was really a failure of the regulators here because they were on to him, and they just didn't go after him until, you know, it was all over. Yeah. Millions and millions of dollars later. As smart as he is, he had one fatal flaw. He liked to brag, and in one of his books, he bragged about sending money, all your money offshore, and saying there's no... They don't go after you in the Bahamas. And I think that's one reason why he, after he was arrested, why he never, ever got out of jail. Because he had already basically telegraphed in his book that he was going to, he could flee the country and exactly. his assets were hidden. I mean, that is a huge red flag telling potential investors that the best thing to do is to hide your money offshore. I mean, that's, that's crazy. In a book. <laughs> exactly. One of the most interesting things that I saw about his life was Oh, the, uh, the storage room where he kept the files on all his clients. And it was just a, a complete wreck. And it was totally disorganized. The files stacked up to the, to the walls and things. And I posted a picture on one of my stories. And it showed me that he was disorganized when it came to paperwork. And he didn't keep good records. 
because nobody in their right mind dealing with multi-million dollar uh, accounts for investors would ever have had a file room like that. Lieber says Doc Gallagher, stocky, feisty, and nearly 80 years old, maybe the most disturbing scam artist he's ever come across in three decades of reporting. He targeted the sick. Um, one of the victims that I profiled, her name was Susan Pippi, and she had lymphoma. And he knew that she was sick. He knew she was in the hospital, and he, he knew that she could even be dying. But he kept his, you know, he took $675,000 from Susan and her husband, A.J., and, you know, he didn't he had no conscience because, you know, now she's living on Social Security. It's terrible because I remember when I interviewed her, you know, she cried. Her whole world just collapsed. And she said it was worse than being sick with lymphoma because she just didn't know how that could be treated with by anybody in a way that would ever make that would ever heal that. It's left a trail of devastation the way a tornado would. One big question, how could someone do this to his own neighbors, families he had gotten to know, even prayed with? In reality, he had prayed on them. He wrapped religion around his neck, and he used it to, uh, to get Christian, good Christian, good-fearing, God-fearing Christians to, to trust him. That is a, a very disgusting thing, but unfortunately, it's not uncommon. Another thing I learned about him was, you know, he wrote a letter to Susan Pippi, yep. you know, denying, denying responsibility. And he was adamant in there that if I could get out of here, I would gladly visit you face-to-face and give you the details of what happened and the way it's being characterized in the media is false. I look forward to seeing you, Doc. Today, Doc Gallagher has this to contemplate in state prison. He pled guilty, got 25 years. He'll be eligible for parole in less than six, aged 85 or so. His assets have been seized, property sold. The receiver handling the case says his victims may get back around eight cents on the dollar of their investments, payments that are expected to start going out very soon. The receiver is also going after radio stations that sold airtime to Doc without either checking his credentials or telling his listeners that he had none. So many lives turned upside down by one man's vast fraud. Let's hear from some of our characters. What I had to do, Michelle, was put off my retirement and work an extra year. I just took every cent that I could. For weeks and months of working, we didn't even take any salary. I just put it all in a 401k, and that's living frugally. Like, that's basically eating peanut butter sandwiches, you know. And Michelle, he knew his audience, and he spoke their language and played into their comfort zone. After this happened, I would wake up in the night, and I had a jigsaw puzzle upstairs, and I would, I would go up and I'd work on it. And I would talk to God about it, and I'd say, what on earth happened? I mean, I literally hugged that man a couple times. I did. And, I, and I'm not a person that even hugs my own family. We're not huggers. I'm not in the frame of mind to let something like this ruin the rest of the time I have left to live. I, I, I see the sun come up every day, and, and I want my days to be good ones. Yeah. Many, though, find it very hard to reach a state of peace just yet, struggling with finances, faith, reeling from being stone-cold deceived. He took part of my future. He took... Uh, a portion of what I had looked forward to doing in retirement. So I really haven't uh, forgiven him. 
I don't know whether I will ever forgive him. I don't I don't feel the least bit like forgiving him. I feel really sorry for some of the people whose lives he absolutely ruined who are not going to ever be fine again. For a very warm-hearted person that he appeared, he just ice cold. (laughs) Fortunately, I didn't invest everything. I didn't invest money that I ever intended to spend. Well, good for you. I'm happy to hear that. And I'm also very sad to hear that Jesus is like the worst money manager ever. (laughs) And I, you know, I try to adopt a forgiving nature toward Doc. that's what the, that's what we're supposed to give or forgive yeah. folks. If I had anything specific to add that might help avoid the situation, but uh, I guess me and I'll just listen to their wives. That's all I think. I love it. I think that's the best advice I've heard, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> I think that attitude is going to keep you going and strong for a long time. So thank you so much. A mystery in so many crimes is what sets someone on this path? How do they think it'll ever be worth it? Doc Gallagher spent most of his time self-promoting and none of his time actually investing. It was all a very colorful, cleverly painted shell. The best advice from experts to protect yourself is to check out state and federal databases, regulatory boards, and sites like BrokerCheck to see if your advisor has credentials or any past complaints. Many of Doc's victims tell us they simply wish they had left their money with well-established firms and avoided the smaller local guy with big claims and guarantees. Let's bring in a very knowledgeable expert now. Jerry Walsh is Senior Vice President of Investor Education with FINRA, which is the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority. So, Jerry, we're so happy to have you with us to help us sort this all out. And we know that investment fraud in America costs people billions, billions of dollars every year. And the old-fashioned Ponzi scheme isn't really going away anytime soon, is it? The old-fashioned Ponzi scheme is alive and well, and it can be extraordinarily difficult to detect. What makes it hard to see? Well, often the scams that are the most insidious are the ones that are not necessarily promising outsized returns. Mm. Instead, they're promising something a little bit more steady, something that's close to the average market returns over a long period of time. And because it's not necessarily an outsized return, it can then seem like it's likely to be real. Got it. One of the things that we find with Ponzi schemes in particular is that often the individual is not actually licensed to sell securities to you and to me or to give investment advice. But we offer a tool at FINRA called BrokerCheck, and it's really easy to find, finra.org slash BrokerCheck. And you can look up and find out whether the investment professional that you're trusting your hard-earned money to is actually licensed either to sell securities or to give advice or both. It is critical that every investor use BrokerCheck to check up on their investment professional. And don't just do it once. Do it on a regular basis. One of the things that a lot of investors don't realize and that I hope through your podcast they're able to learn is that in order 
to give investment advice, to be managing someone's money, you have to be registered either with FINRA as a broker or with the SEC or with a state securities regulator as what's called an investment advisor. If they're not in broker check, that's a big red flag. And if you look at their record and see that they have a history of disciplinary actions that have been taken against them, customer complaints, that's another red flag. In our story that we're focused on this time, um, there, there was something I found extraordinary. And it was that even when people did have a couple of thoughts like, oh, maybe I should look a little deeper, it was all of their friends, their trusted friends, longtime friends who vouched for the guy and said, oh, well, my investments have been with him forever. He's great. How powerful is the power of your peers when you might be about to check something out, but everything seems okay in your friend's bank account? The power of your friends is immense. It is immense, and you cannot underestimate it. It's actually called the social consensus tactic. Um, That leads you to believe that if other people are doing this, whatever this is, it must be good to do. It must be okay. I'm not going to check out this person because my pastor uses this person. But you have to remember that whatever's right for someone else might not be right for you. It's always a good idea to check out somebody and make sure that you've independently researched them. It's hard to go against that tide. So what would you say in your experience are sometimes the subtler red flags that maybe you should have your radar up for? Well, the fact that somebody is advertising themselves as an expert doesn't mean that they are. That's actually another tactic that cons use. It's called the source credibility tactic. They'll tap into something in you. You know, it might be that they they share your faith or that they share your profession or they share your ethnic background, whatever it is. But they try to build this credibility with you as holding themselves out as an expert. But guess what? The fraudsters lie. And in our story, the scammer, Doc Gallagher, seemed to try really hard to gain people's friendship first. You know, somebody gives you a gift, you think, oh, I need to give them a gift. They sent me a card, I need to send them a card. And it can be a very effective technique. I hold a seminar on how to maximize your retirement savings. And I might give you a meal or I might give you a book. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that you create this kind of obligation. You give me your money to manage. Yeah. And this was using the friendship circle. It was using religion a lot. You might never think that that's a red flag. Especially if you're a person of faith, it's really hard to accept that somebody might defraud you in the name of God might say, let's get on our knees together and pray while they're picking your pocket. But that's exactly what savvy con men will do to extraordinarily savvy investors. There tends to be this tendency of blaming the victim. Well, why couldn't they have seen that this person was a fraud? It's because the fraudster spent an enormous amount of time and energy making their scheme look real. The reality is if something is too good to be true, you're probably dealing with an amateur. And especially when 
the scammers appeal to who you fundamentally are, whether it's your religion or your ethnicity or your gender or your profession. It's really hard to accept that, that somebody who's in that tribe, right, is using that connection to take advantage of you. This is excellent advice, and you tell it so well. So thanks so much, Jerry, for doing this. Thanks for having me. If you or someone you know has been the victim of fraud or scam, call AARP's free Fraud Watch Network helpline at 877-908-3360. Their trained fraud specialists can help you know what to do next and how to avoid scams in the future. Thank you to our team of scam busters, executive producer Julie Getz, producer Brooke Ellis, associate producer and researcher Megan DeMagnus, our audio engineer Julio Gonzalez, and of course, fraud expert Frank Abagnale. Be sure to find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For AARP's The Perfect Scam, I'm Michelle Kosinski. Are you 55 plus? There are many ways your community could use your help. As an AmeriCorps Seniors Volunteer, you can put your skills to work for the causes you care about whether that's by becoming a companion for an older adult or a foster grandparent for a child, tutoring students, joining a disaster response effort, or fulfilling another interest. Choose how, where, and when you want to volunteer starting at just a few hours a month. This is your moment to make a positive impact on your community and get back so much more in return. Visit AmeriCorps.gov slash your moment today.